Thanks, Liz. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff. I'm alcoholic. Hi, Jeff. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I usually don't get too nervous when I speak, but I'm real nervous tonight because I know there's a lot of people in here that know me. <laughs> and, uh, if I don't know the crowd, it's just a whole lot easier. I don't, I'm not sure why, but, um, but it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I've just had a ball since I got off the plane, you know, and, uh, uh I came in Wednesday so I could go to my, uh, to, to my, my, uh, this is my first home group and still feel that's where my heart is at Johnny's Fourth Street group. And, uh, and I made sure that I could get in Wednesday morning so I could go to that meeting on Wednesday night. And, uh, that's where I got sober. That was the, my first group and where I met my first sponsor. And as a matter of fact, it was where, uh, the first A member that I ever talked to was from that group, and I'll go into that. But, uh, man, it's just been fun, and I just see the faces, and, and uh, I just I haven't had time to talk to everybody I wanted to talk to, and I've met a lot of people, um, and it's been great. So um, I guess I already said my name, uh, so we'll, uh, I, I will go ahead and get started. I, um, I moved uh, to Texas eight years ago, and, and, uh, and so I got sober on the east side of Cincinnati, which is this side of Cincinnati, and I guess the right before I moved was the very first Buckeye Roundup. Um, was like right before I, I left, wasn't it? And is this the ninth or the eighth or ninth? Yeah. Um, so it, it's just kind of like old home week. It's great. Um, and I like to thank everybody for inviting me out and asking me to come and Liz putting up with me for the last 15 years and uh, <laughs> and everything. Uh, it just it means a whole lot to me. Um, I, it really does. Um, and. Uh, Anyway, I, I, I come from the South now, and some people say I talk funny, or I'm starting to talk funny. I say words like fixin', and I say y'all, and I say, uh, um, what else? Big old, yeah, big old truck, and big old, <laughs> you know. Uh, and last weekend, I spoke uh, at a, um, in Beaumont, Texas, and they had a southern dance kind of thing, you know, and, and, uh, and so the, the, everybody was dressed up in their cowboy stuff, and the girls had their dresses, and the hats, and the whole bit, and I really don't fit into that yet, but uh, I still go and uh, um, do have a pair of boots now. But anyway, um, I found some stuff some, somebody gave me, and I just thought it would, might be fitting for the occasion. Um, so I was going to tell you some of the rules of the South. This is some stuff that I kind of had to learn as I'm, when I moved down there. Um, and the first rule is the proper pronunciation you learned in school is no longer proper. That would be the first one. Uh, don't don't be worried that you don't understand anyone. They don't understand you either. <laughs> it says, remember, y'all is singular. All y'all is plural, and all y'alls is plural possessive. <laughs> <laughs> don't be surprised to find movie rentals and fishing bait in the same store. <laughs> Here's a good one. If you if if you do run your car into a ditch, don't panic. Four men in the cab of a four-wheel drive with a 12-pack of beer and a tow chain will be along shortly. <laughs> Don't try to help them. Just stay out of their way. This is what they live for. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I guarantee it's true. I love those guys. <clears throat> uh, save all manner of bacon grease. If it can't be fried in bacon grease, it ain't worth cooking, let alone eating. <laughs> Which is true. Uh, you can ask an, a southerner for directions, but unless you already know the positions of key hills, trees, and rocks, you're better off trying to find it yourself. <laughs> 
satellite dishes are very popular in the South. When you purchase one, it is to be positioned directly in front of your trailer. <laughs> this is a logical bearing in mind that the dish costs considerably more than the trailer and should therefore be displayed. <laughs> they loved that one in Beaumont last weekend. It's true. <laughs> Tornadoes and Southerners go through a divorce. Tornadoes and Southerners going through a divorce have a lot in common. In either case, you know someone's going to lose their trailer. <laughs> they didn't like that one either <laughs> it's the last one I think it's my favorite it says if you hear a southerner exclaim hey y'all watch this stay out of his way these are likely the last words he will ever say <laughs> man I love those uh, and I like the South. I, I like, uh, I think I was a hillbilly waiting to, to, to get to the South. You know, I really do. I was just, in a, I really found a home there and love the people there. And, uh, and I love the people up here. I just, I just seem to love everybody these days. Uh, my sobriety date's July 17th, 1986. And uh, that was the, that. And uh, th that was the blessed most forsaken I felt that that day um, of my life it was um, um, my day of surrender that was the day um, I wasn't planning on it being that day um, I would I don't know I'd say I'd have done better but I did pretty damn good right now I really did that last uh, little venture um, but uh, you know I got alcoholism and, and um, um, it'd be I guess when I got sober, I always wanted to go back to my family history, like some people that I went through treatment with or whatever, and they would go back and all of a sudden really be concerned about where they came from, and uh, they could see all this alcoholism in their family, and I couldn't really see it. Um, and, um, and after getting sober for a while, I got back and started looking. Well, you know, in my family, it's kind of funny. There's a lot of preachers in my family, a lot of preachers in my family, and, and, uh, and, uh, and I found out later that they were all alcoholics and that they had got sober that way. Um, and then, uh, and then um, my dad has a couple of brothers, and, um, and one of them has already passed with alcoholism. Um, and he died in his, I guess he was in his 50s when he died. Um, and, man, I'm so excited tonight that I, I knew I was going to get like this, um, that my Uncle John's here. And, uh, and I, not to tell his story, but Rob and I have taken him to treatment a couple times. And, and, um, and he's been here in Cincinnati. And we've lost touch. We haven't, I don't know if we've even talked for eight or ten years. Um, his daughter called me a week ago. And, uh, and she said, uh, you know, th that her brother had had a baby. And she said, um, I said, have you talked to your dad? And she said, yeah, I've gotten a hold of him and I just went up to visit him. Let me give you a cell phone number. And I called him and, and, uh, and, I, and I went and picked him up tonight. And he's sitting here on my front row and... Um, um, and he's got two years of sobriety. And, uh, and, uh, and me and Rob, had, a couple times, taken him to treatment on different occasions and, uh, and, uh, and, and hung with him. And, you know, and, it, and it's one thing when you see somebody get sober, when you see somebody in your family get sober. You know that, that the, 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 I'm not sure if alcoholism curses the family, but, but, but I know that any time AA enters into the family, um, that the alcoholics have a chance, you know, because, you know, there's always been a trust between John and I because John's seen me when I wrecked the cars. I'm sure my dad's probably called him and be like, that kid's killing me, 
you know he's driving me crazy you know and and uh and, and there's a trust between john and i that i just i can't really describe but it's it's uh it's not only that we're both alcoholic but it's that we're blood and uh, i'm just real proud to have you on on the front row john i'm glad you came out tonight uh took my first drink i was 10 years old um went to a uh kids party um birthday party right birthday party and i had brought a gift <laughs> i didn't know i i really didn't know and i had brought a gift and uh and and i was gonna i don't i mean i just figured cake and ice cream you know they said everybody's gonna spend the night my mom's making sure everybody spends the night and i said well that's cool you know i'm bringing me a sleeping bag and stuff and just you know and and uh and it wasn't cake and ice cream and it, it was crazy because I remember going downstairs and I remember that ACDC was playing on the stereo and, and it was, you know, just a lot of kids running around my age and they, and they were drinking. And, um, and I had never drank in my life, never seen it, never, I really had never experienced, very sheltered. Um, my mom would drink a half a glass or a glass and a half, start to feel and quit. And then we'd eat cheese somewhere in the middle of all that, which I never understood, but she was, she was... <laughs> That's, when she started feeling it, she quit. Um, I'm just kind of telling you that these, these role models that I had, my drinking role models, weren't very good at that time. Um, <laughs> and my father drank, he said, when he was in the service, he drank a liter of uh, bourbon every day or vodka or whatever he drank. You know, when he was in the service, he met my mom. My mom was a preacher's daughter. And he said, will you marry me? And she said, only if you quit drinking. He said, okay. And he quit. Um, <laughs> So up to that time, that was my drinking role models. There was never any alcohol in the house uh, unless my mom had some cheese. And then she would buy some wine and eat the stuff or whatever. But I had no idea. I'd just seen some stuff on TV. And that night, um, I sat on that, in the corner uh, in that house, and, uh, and I was scared to death. I was petrified. And they, they were all doing stuff. I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of these people. And they were all walking around me. And I just kind of went in the corner, and somebody handed me a bottle of gin. And... Uh, I didn't know what or whatever, but I did have my buddy with me that came to the party with his gift, and uh, <laughs> and uh, we took our first drink together, and um, and I remember it burned, and I remember this the whole bit, man, and uh, and 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 then I remember the the spell that was cast on me that day. Uh, it was a magical freaking thing that went from head to toe, you know, and then all of a sudden I was right in the middle of that party and everybody came for me even though it was somebody else's birthday and then everybody wanted to hang out with me and be with me and, <laughs> I just, you know, I just, I just remember that feeling. There's no other way I can describe it as a magical moment, you know, it was just a, a magical thing. Um, I drank as much as I could. I, I, I didn't know how much you were allowed to drink or how much you were supposed to drink or any of that. And I remember they had brought cases of beer down. The ironic thing about the story is the guy I took my first drink with, I took to his first meeting, and he sobered up. When I left Cincinnati, he had about eight years of sobriety, but it was just it's kind of strange how all that kind of works. But um, they, they were bringing cases of beer and laying them down the floor. So we had raided the liquor cabinet. I guess that's where that bottle of gin came from, and there was the cases in the floor. And next thing I know, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of, you know how the, I was just in the world, and I was just walking around the house or whatever I was doing, and some police came downstairs. I never been around any police. But I knew that when the police came, you ran. And uh, I, saw, I saw that on TV. And uh, so all of a sudden, these kids started running out the back door through the woods. and through I mean, they was just going everywhere, running over top of people, screaming, the cops are here. And, uh, and like, we were only 10, 11 years old. I mean, we, was, we were real kids. And, uh, and me and Bill grabbed a case of that beer. And we ran out the back. 
That should tell us something. It should have been an early signal. Uh, we went up the back deck. To, they had a deck kind of up. It was up high by their roof. I'm not sure why they even had that. But we were up there, and we kept drinking. And uh, uh, soon after that, uh, I guess everything settled down. The kids started coming out of the woods, going back in the house. So we went back in the house. Party was broke up. I don't know, you know, whatever's happening. So the parents were coming to pick us up, you know. And I didn't know that. I knew the way I felt was great. I didn't know if it went away or if you could just, like, not be that way. Or I mean, I really didn't have no idea. And uh, my mom come to pick us up, and she was sitting out front. There was kids laying in the yard. I mean, you could, you know what I mean? That was, and they were, it was awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I remember uh, my mom, you know, pulling up. And I open the door, and I look at her, and I start to go, and I just fall into her lap, you know, and I'm telling her how much I love her. You know, Mama, I love her. <laughs> that was the first drink, and it uh, didn't get any better than that. That was the best one right there. Uh, so, of course, I, you know, I got lectured or whatever. I, I mean, I don't really remember what happened, but I remember when I came out, I thought, God, I can't wait to do that again. That was the best thing that's ever happened to me, you know. Um, and like I said, I, the only way I can describe it's magical, and it? Um, you know, as I grew up, it, it, was, it was often, I mean, it was, it was always as often as I could, you know, but when you're 11 years old, as often as you could isn't that often, because it's just hard to do it, you know, um, and uh, so, you know, we got it figured out all, you see all these ways of uh, being able to get it or steal it or, or steal it off of a train or a truck or something, you know, and when the Budweiser guy went to the store, we'd run and grab him off his car and off his truck and take him, and we'd do all kinds of different things to get it, and you know, every time it was the same thing. You know, I just drank as much as I could and um, as long as I could. Um, you know, any time we'd give somebody money to buy to buy it or whatever, I'd hang out with these guys and they'd all like want to drink too or something, and they'd split a six pack between the three, and then I'd get a twelve pack for myself. You know, or if they'd wanted, well, let's each get a six pack and then we'll get one for Jeff. And I was thinking, man, you know, I'm thinking I know they're going to run out. They're not going to run out, so I can drink theirs, but that ain't going to be enough. You know, and and. Uh, and I knew when I was coming up that I, was, I wasn't like them guys, you know. And it didn't take long until I found some guys that did what I did and drank like I drank, you know, where they would... Um, the, the guys, and you can know the guys because you have to start hiding the last beers behind the lettuce in the refrigerator, you know. Because you know them guys are there too and they're going to be looking, you know. And uh, you got to find all these good places to hide your stuff and whatever. And um, Man, I loved, I loved life when I was younger. I played baseball and uh, sung in a choir and... Uh, active in school things, active in home things, you know, going to church uh, with my mom, play piano in church, and just a, just a lot of fun things. And my parents were great. We had all this just good stuff going on. And, and the more I drank and the longer I drank, the more I started to scar that stuff in my life. It was, uh, a lot of it was, was because it just, it just wasn't what I was doing. It wasn't what I was into. And a lot of it was, was a lot of stuff that I was doing, I felt pretty damn guilty doing it, you know. Um, uh, alcoholism started putting up walls in my life for me. And um, um, when I was 17 years old, um, this is how I become. I, um, my parents couldn't look me in the eye. We, we never even looked at each other. Um, they were so afraid of me getting arrested again and, and uh, or having another car wreck that they let me drink at home. And um, it's a good Christian home, and they were at wit's end. Um, they uh, they had spent tremendous amounts of money on lawyers and whatever to keep try to keep their kid out of trouble. Uh, constantly lied to relatives, family, friends, whatever about my condition. Uh, they, uh, I, you know, I just remember, I remember uh, a fist fight with my dad. 
and I and I, I swore that would never happen ever, you know. And I remember that incident was uh, uh we had went to a all day picnic or something and drank I was drinking all day and um come in and I had brought a girl with me and we were gonna go back out that evening and, and um and she uh my dad told me I needed to get some rest, you know, because he didn't want me to go back out. I mean, you know, I was, you know, near blackout and, you know, just, uh, you know, just another night that I'd wreck a car and get arrested. And, um, you know, I guess that's the first time I realized about the physical compulsion that it talks about in the doctor's opinion, because that night he wasn't keeping me in that house. You know, that, that desire, that need to drink was much more powerful than the love for my father. And I was going through that door. And, um... And it was more powerful than the love for my mother because she was just sitting there screaming and crying like, look what you're doing. Can you see how you are? Look what you become. And I would go hug her and tell her I loved her. And then I would throw my dad into the wall. And, uh, and, and that was how I was. And I didn't want to be like that. I, did, I never wanted to be at all even... God, I just hate to think that I was like that. Um, and the thing is, is that, that I had hardened my parents so hard that, that, that they would put up with that. That was normal. That insanity was normal life. Um, I, uh, my dad was an executive at Ford Motor Company, and uh, as a matter of fact, he retired from a, down the road here, and uh, he gave a, they, they had him, a, they uh, leased him a car, um, and the family could drive it, and, uh, and I would run around the neighborhood, I was 17 years old, and the only thing I had ever done up to that time, and never had a job, and it had just been, um, you know, selling drugs and, and uh, just illegal things, you know, and taking stuff that's not mine and whatever. And that's all I had ever really known. That's all I had ever done. And um, and my dad would let me drive his car around. So there I was driving this brand-new Lincoln Continental around, selling dope out of it, thinking I was somebody, and I was running around just like a maniac. And, and uh, man, I was so lonely in, in, uh, um, in blackouts. Uh, the last year of my drinking, I blacked out every time I, I picked a, picked up a drink. I don't remember, I don't remember much. I don't remember, uh, I don't ever remember not having a blackout, you know. And the thing was, was it always happened after 12 or 13 or 15, and it was happening after 2. And I didn't understand that. I remember sitting in the back seat of a guy's car and, and, and getting a case of beer and set it down between my legs and drinking one and a half and then coming up the next morning thinking, because usually I could remember if I drank at least a 12-pack or something, and that was happening at one or two or three drinks, and I, I wasn't understanding that. It was, it was kind of freaking me out, and I, um, I had a, a terrible car wreck when I was 17, and, and uh, matter of fact, Rob, he said he was going to stay. Rob, <laughs> he lied. <laughs> he, uh, Rob and I, when, when I first came to town, I said, man, i got to drive down that street, you know? It's a dead-end road that I had been down... The guy used to, I used to party with down at the end of the road. I knew it was a dead-end road. You know, somewhere in this alcoholic insanity, um, I get on this road. And, and, you know, I had a girlfriend at that time, and I got to talk about her a little bit because she kept me alive. She was one of God's angels, man. She just hung with me through it all. She was awesome. She was a fifth, she just got her learner's permit, whatever, you know, where you got to have a licensed driver. And didn't say anything on her that, that, that they didn't have to walk or be coherent, you know. She just... <laughs> And that's what she would do. She was my angel. I swear she kept me alive. Uh, but that night, we were, I was supposed to meet her somewhere, and she wasn't there. And it was always about 10 o'clock, and she would run me down and find me and then drive me around the rest of the night. And um, she wasn't there, and I, we, of course we were drinking, and I, a couple other girls got in the car with me, and my buddy got in the car, and there we go tearing out down this. And next thing I know, I'm doing like 100, 110 miles an hour down this dead-end road, 
and I was just kind of tripping on the cars going by. They were parked on both sides. You know, if you go that fast between those cars, it's kind of like a video game. You know how that... <laughs> and I was just, just kind of into it, you know. And, uh, and, re and really, I was thinking, well, isn't this cool, you know. And, uh, and I, so I was telling Johnny Day, I'm so glad I remembered that. I, and I don't know why, but that's one thing I do remember. And I remember at the end of that, I started seeing houses in front of me. And I remember one pole, and it was a big one, and it was coming right for me, and there was nothing I could do. I knew it was coming, and he just kind of braced up. And um, we hit that pole, and it went up on a curb. And we, you know, it was real high speed. There was houses really close to us. And it went up on a curb and hit that pole, and the front two tires blew, and we just dukes a hazard. You know, it just, it just shot the car up, up into there, and we went through that telephone pole. I just remember seeing it coming, and then just splinters everywhere. And um, we landed on top of a guy's car in his driveway, right beside of his house, right on top of his car. And, uh, you know, I, and I was like, whoa. I remember, <laughs> I really wasn't, whoa. And, <laughs> and I looked in the back seat and my buddy was turned upside down. And I was like, because it was like one of them things where it just always happens to other people, you know. That stuff always happens to other people, but it ain't going to happen to me. And I look in the back seat and he's flipped over and I, and I know he's breathing because I see a, there's a puddle of blood in his mouth and I see the bubbles. And I think, he's alive. And then the girl behind me uh, had come over top of me and she was kind of laying under at my feet almost. Had come over the seat down. And then the other girl was pushed so far up under the dash I really couldn't see anything but her head. Her, like, you know, she was just kind of crumbled up down there and it was bad. So, you know, the first, my first thought is, man, I got beer in the trunk. You know? And it's always thinking of others the way I do. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I get out and I take those bottles and I, man, I, I was just, I was losing it. And I just started throwing those bottles into the middle of the street and just breaking them, just one after the other after the other. Um, I was losing it. You know, the, the thing, I mean, I wish I would have been knocked out or something because I didn't have to experience all this. Um, I just remember looking up and, man, it looked like the Macy's Day Parade coming down that drive, you know, because I had knocked out everybody's electricity within two or three miles, I'm sure. And, uh, but all I seen was in red lights coming down, and, and, uh, and they, they take the girls, and they put them in the ambulance, and they, they take me and my buddy, and they put us in the car, because he finally got started walking around. And I was sitting in the back of that car, and the cop was right outside the door with his gun right there. And it was everything I could do not to reach out and grab his gun and just end it right there, because I, I just, I couldn't, you know. I don't know, I'm kind of an all-or-nothing kind of guy, you know. I'm like, if it hurts too bad, I just, I quit. And, uh, and it was hurting too bad that night. And, uh, and this guy beside of me that went out with me wasn't a big drinker or anything, and, and, uh, and he said, I looked at him, and I, and I knew he had been going to church or something, or something happened for him, and I said, man, I, I, need, to, I need to go talk to a preacher. And uh, that was the first time since I was a little kid that I even, the words would even come out. I couldn't even go near a church. I couldn't, and it just freaked me out too bad. I remember I used to, before I had a choice what day I drank on and, and, uh, and, and got high on, I wouldn't do it on Sundays. That's how spiritual I was. <laughs> and uh, and then it was like I could do it on Sundays, but I can't do it outside on Sundays because that's closer to the guy I do it inside on Sundays. And uh, you know that's my thinking. Uh, and I told him, I said, man, I got to talk to a preacher or something. I said, man, I'm losing it. I'm just freaking losing it. That's kind of the start of it, the end, it was the beginning of the end. That was uh, it was when I realized that my armor had a chink in it. You know, um, I guess up to that time I always thought, you know, as long as as long as, as what I was doing was your problem, it's all right, you know. And, and, and that, was, that was one of the big turning points that I started realizing, wait, this is my problem. You know, this is hurting me. This is affecting me. You know, as long as I'm hurting Liz or Keith or whoever, it's fine. You know, but this is starting to hurt me. And, uh, 
you know, up to that time I had had uh, a DUI and had been going to classes and all that stuff. And, and I don't know if they were teaching me about alcoholism. I don't really know what they were doing. But, I, of course, you never tell them the truth, and they can't help you unless you tell them the truth. So it was, it was all worthless anyway. And uh, um, they sent me to another counselor after that to go talk to. And, uh, and, but, but my drinking had changed. You know, it was like all I, was, all I thought about. That was it. I mean, there wasn't anything. There was no work. There was no, there was no family. There was, no, there was nothing. I mean, it was just uh, it was drinking oblivion because the pain was, was getting too bad. You know, the pain was getting too bad. And quite often there was walks across the bridge, which I lived uh, right down, down the road here, and I would quite often walk across that bridge and just lean way over and, and just, what would it be like? What would they think? You know, what would they think? You know, and, and I knew that, that pain... And I knew in my, I, I mean, I knew in my head that if it gets much worse, I got to, you know, I got to. And, it, you know, I hit bottom pretty young, I, uh, and, and I always wonder where bottom is. You know, what, what is that? You know, I don't think I could drink for 40 years. I know I couldn't. I'd have pulled the trigger long before that. I mean, the pain was too bad. Um, you know, I don't think these things on the outside that happens to us is what gets us sober. That, it's not what got me sober. You know, it was this thing that was inside of me that was eating my soul. And I knew my soul was going, you know. I knew it was going, and I couldn't do anything to stop it. Uh, I went to the church that I grew up at. And uh, I went to that church where I went to vacation Bible school every summer. Um, where my mom played the piano, and everybody in there knew me. And I walked in, and I was strung out, and I was... However, I mean, sometimes I'd be high before I went and started to go to several different churches at that time because something had to happen for me. If I was going to stay in the world, something had to happen for me, and the only place I'd ever seen that happen was in the church house, so I was going to the church house, and I sat in the back, and the preacher, man, and if anybody's ever been there and have done it, have had the experience that I did with this, they always talk to you. It's like they know you're there. They've been waiting for you for 20 years or whatever, you know. <laughs> so he was talking to me. He was working on me. He was working on me, man. I was back there saying, I ain't going to the front. There ain't, no, I'm not going to the front, you know. And he was working on me, working on me. And then finally at the end, and, and, uh, and then of course it matters what kind of church you go to. The churches I always went to, they said all the sinners come to the front. <laughs> you know, or whatever, whatever they'd say. You know, if you want to change, if you want something new, you come on down. And, uh, and I, man, I'd be standing there and I'd, be looking for somebody to come down. I say, I ain't going down. Nobody else says, I ain't going down. And I'd look up, and the preacher would be looking right at me. <laughs> I ain't going down. And then all of a sudden, this leg would step. And once you make that first step, you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> and there I'd be, man, down the aisle to the front. Preacher come, sprinkle on me, pray for me. The other people would come, put their arms on me, because they knew me. And they, they knew. And they could see it. And, uh, and I'll change, and I'd feel it, and I would change. And I'd walk out of there, and I'd get in my car, and I'd start life anew. They never gave me their phone numbers. Hey, we get phone numbers. I never had one phone number when I left there. I just realized I got another resentment. I never had anybody to call. That's why it didn't work. So... Uh, so anyway, I, you know, it, it just so happens, and it, it says in there, it says that uh, we usually fall to some insanely trivial excuse, and, uh, and that's what it always was. It was always in something stupid, you know, and uh, I remember that one time. I get in my CD case, and I open it up to get a CD out, and maybe some religious music I might be able to find in there or something, and I dig around, and in that case, there's a joint laying there, and I think, well, if I'm going to start my life over, i got to get rid of that. <laughs> 
thus. You guys know the rest of that story. Uh, so the next weekend, I was at a different church. You know, and it had some guys at school, and one guy used to, and I, you know, I, I did a lot of chemicals, and I try not to talk about them. It was a big, big part of my story, because when you're 11 years old, the dope man never asked for an ID, you know? So, and, and but I, I had to talk about inhalants. I was at 4th Street the other night, and Guy was talking about inhalants. Uh, there he is. And, uh, and, I, and I was with you, man, and, I, and Guy will understand this. You get this thing on them inhalants, it's called, we always call it the wah-wahs. It's just kind of, everything starts going wah, wah, wah. And, uh. I, I always had a thing for that. I mean, I'd have a pocket full of money, and we'd be doing all these expensive drugs, drinking Jack Daniels, and I'd have me a bread bag, be shooting propane in it, going. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't really don't know uh, why I had such a love for that, but uh, everybody around me would just worry, you know. And, uh, especially when you came home and your mom you was doing that in a bread bag with that gold paint or something. You had a big ring of paint around your mouth. <laughs> You come in the house, you think you'd be all cool, and think you have your mom fooled, and you go in and look in the mirror, man. You use a big gold paint right there. Yeah. So, uh. It's fun, isn't it? I love it. So, so anyway, I, you know, uh, I don't even know where the inhaling story came from. I, I just, the guy really had me on. I completely lost my place, but, uh. Uh, <laughs> the uh, but I but I, I love to do them inhalants and and um, I really don't I really don't know what I was talking about. But anyway, uh, the next weekend I was at the next as at another church and uh, and it was the same thing. And I'd go in and I wasn't going to the front. I'm not going to the front this time. It didn't work last time. I'm not going to the front. The preacher'd be looking at me when I look up, and there I'd go. You know, um, I was working the first three steps before I ever come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Every time I walked up that aisle to that to the to the pew to the front to the altar, I was always I was taking the first three steps. Um, first three steps came real easy to me, you know. Um, and Lewis that spoke earlier, he uh, he read he read my sentence. He read my paragraph out of the big book. It says though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it couldn't have any permanent effect unless it, we got down to causes and conditions. Um, and that was my decision but it's not going to have a permanent effect unless I get down to what's wrong with me. Um, and that's why every time that I did that, it wouldn't take. You know, I didn't have anywhere to take it. You know, I'd go in there feeling different, feeling strange, go up, turn my life over to God, do the whole thing, come out, I'd feel his power, I'd feel it all. But I didn't have a phone number. You know, I didn't have a group. And I didn't have a guide. I didn't have none of that. Um, I bet five times in that last several months you know I went to the church and was born again rededicated or what I don't know you're born again and then once you do that once then you're rededicated and then I don't know how many times you can be rededicated <laughs> well I'm pretty close to using them up you know <laughs> and, uh, you know the thing was was that I, I couldn't stand to be in my own skin you know I mean I had created this person out here that I wanted everybody to look at and 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 this person out here was so far from being this person right here. And, and I, I could never live up to that person. And I, I couldn't stand being this person. And I was in a bad place. Um, my last drunk, uh, July 16th, 1986. No, that wasn't when it started. <laughs> you know, I had, like I said, I was blackout. I was blackout for overnight. You know, I wasn't a, like an extended blackout kind of guy. Um, 
And so that last drunk, I remember the neighborhood, um, these drugs would pass through the neighborhood. It was like a plague that would kind of go through the neighborhood. And usually there'd be some deaths as a result of some of these chemicals going through the neighborhood or whatever. Some bad things would happen at different times. And, and at this time, uh, there was uh, uh, quaaludes. Somebody, one of them, one of the guys in town or whatever came up with this big batch of something and, and these quaaludes. And, and, uh, and man, those things, if you drink on them, will just, they put me where I wanted to be. Because at that time, I just wanted to be numb. You know, I didn't want to think. I didn't. You know, I smoked pot every day for five or six years, and I hated it because it made me think about how terrible my life is. I'm doing what I did it every day. Uh, but these things right here, you know, you mix them with alcohol, and you could just forget everything. I mean, you just crawl up in the corner. You know, you could go lay down on a bed of nails and just find so much comfort in that. And uh, and and uh, and so I, you know, we started that night, and I went to get some because I was big drug dealer and I was going to go out and, and you know even those guys were getting tired of me they were like Jeff if, you, if you're going to sell these don't take them you know because they were like you know we know we just know you man and don't take them I'm like hey man I know how this works I'm, I'm with you I, you know I'm, I know what's going on and you know what happens when I get to the car you know I'm like well I got to try them out you know because you can't be selling something that you haven't tried it's not right and you got to <laughs> test it you know and um, see if it's good and um was at St. Thomas More. So we were talking about St. Thomas More earlier. There's a little Catholic school down here, and they'd have a big festival. And it was a drunk fest. It was never a festival. I don't know what a festival that one ever was. And it, I see all the people smiling because everybody's been to the St. Thomas More <laughs> festival. And uh, I was with Billy W. And he was the fellow that followed me in AA after a few years. And um, I just I remember I had a pocket full of them pills, and I had that half gallon or half gallon Jack Daniels and me and him were passing it back and forth and back and forth. Um, I remember getting into a fish fight, which was regular Saturday night, you know, you gotta have a Saturday night fish fight or it's just not any fun. And um had that um Saturday night fish fight and uh and went to a blackout, you know. And I had the hundred and fifty of these pills on me and and um I don't know how many or where that went. Um I remember them arresting me. I had three IDs at that time. I had one that I was 17 years old. I had one that I was 18 years old. For you know, if certain times you get caught with somebody, say, "Man, I'm just eight, I'm 18," and they would let you out on you know, pour the beer out or whatever. And then I had one that said I was 23. Now I don't even look 23 now. You can imagine when I was 17 years old, I looked 23. I had to grow this so I looked 22. You know, uh, and everybody knows me when I come in new. I didn't 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 look of uh, 23 or 25 or whatever that ID said. And, uh, so the cops got me. Uh, there was a big t- festival tent, about this big, like gambling games all around it. And I go in there, and I'm playing some gambling games and stuff, and I said, man, I got it bad. And I went to somebody, I said, well, can you tell me where the restroom is? And they said, oh, yeah, it's down there, down there, down there. That was just too many words. And I just couldn't. <laughs> so I just happened to go to the corner of the gambling tent there. And I just relieved myself right there, and people were bumping into me. There was a bunch of people in there, and they were gambling. They were spinning a wheel right beside of me or something, and I was just peeing. And, uh, and of course, they don't like that. And uh, It's not good for business. So they, uh, the, the cops come and got me and took me off, and ch- they, they handcuffed me to one of these tables, like, you know, to the bar across it or whatever. And I'm sitting there, and all my buddies are there. And they're walking by, and the cops are there, and... Uh, of course, my buddies were a mess too, and uh, and they would they would take a beer and set it down low, and they'd walk by, and then you know the cops would be there, and I'd dip down and take a drink of that beer, you know, like I don't I don't even know what we were thinking, we were crazy, but um, the cop asked me how old I was, and I thought, well, if I tell him I'm 18, he's gonna let me off, you know, 
because I'm a good guy. So I gave him that ID and I said, here. And he said, well, you're 18 years old. It means we got to take you down to the county. I was thinking, oh, I gave him the wrong one. <laughs> so, so I said, no. I said, really, this, this is, really, this is me. <laughs> so then I gave him the one that said I was 23. <laughs> so then he looks at that and he's, he said, who are you? And I looked and I thought, oh, no, I gave him the wrong one. I said, wait, this is really me. <laughs> so luckily somebody there knew me or something. And because by that time, there was a lot of people around. And somebody was like, oh, he used to play baseball for me. He's probably 17 years old. So they took that idea and, uh, as the truth and called my dad to come get me. And my dad comes. And I, and I remember this. And then I blacked out. But I remember him coming. Uh, and he had a black pickup truck, and he pulls out front, and all my friends are around me, and they're all like, because, you know, when something terrible happens, everybody's got to be involved because they're helping you out, you know. And, and they were all around me and stuff, and, like, something traumatic had happened to me. And and uh, and they and, and my, and the garage then at the time said, let Jeff stay. We'll take care of him. And I remember him, that contempt in his eyes, and he looked at them with the same contempt he looked at me, and he said, yeah, like, you've always taken care of him. And uh, and, and he grabbed me by my hair. <laughs> head first in that truck and there I went. Um, they did take care of me though. I, you know, I have to say that, that, that God kept me alive long enough to get to y'all because he, uh, uh, I had a group, they had a game even, it was called Find Jeff. That was the game they played. And and because what would happen is when I would drink, uh, especially if I was drinking whiskey or something hard, uh, I'd get kind of hot. You know, you just kind of, if you drink a lot and you kind of, especially if you've been in a fist fight, then you really get hot. And, uh, and, I, I, and, and down here, and people up down south don't understand this, but, but the days are hot and the nights are cold. And that long grass gets real cool at night, and they'll get that dew on it. And that's perfect for sleeping. Just perfect for sleeping. <laughs> so I'd be at a party, and there'd be all these people in there, and somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning, I'd just decide I'm going to go take me a nap. And I'd go out in the backyard somewhere, or in the front yard, or in the neighbor's yard, or where I'd just go out there and just lay down that grass and go to sleep. And, uh, and this girl that... Had, saved my life however many times and they would get flashlights and they would go out in the yard and just look for me you know you know i had i guess i had sense enough not to do it when it was snowing you know because i people die out here for that you know you know laying down in the snow or whatever but um anyway they 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 did keep me alive long enough to get here i uh blacked out for three and a half days and um and i never had anything like that and uh and i woke up in my bed my mom sitting at the foot of the bed my dad walking around my bed uh, I mean, I, don't, I knew something bad was happening, you know. I mean, I didn't know, but I, but I knew something, you know. I mean, I, I couldn't really remember or anything. Uh, my mom just kept saying family counseling, family counseling, and she was crying, and she was pulling her big call, family counseling card out on me, you know. And I and uh, and um, and Dad was just wringing his hands, you know, just walking around like this. And like I said, I don't, I don't know anything that happened, man. I, I got up out of bed and I was t- just trying to figure out, you know, what day it was. Or, you know what I mean, is it morning or is it evening or, you know, that whole thing. I mean, I'm just trying to, and they're in my bedroom and I'm like, whoa, what, what's happening? And, uh, and um, I don't know, whatever happened, how, I was like, asked my dad, hey, what day is it? Or however I said it, it was Tuesday. And I remember Friday night. And, um, and I thought, whoa, this is weird. And the way I am, I always think people's trying to get me. You know what I mean? Trying to fix me or change me or something. So I have a lot of what Lewis was talking about. So I went and got in my car and I tore off to Thriftway. Down, I went to the bank first. There's a bank right down from the house on the corner of Beachmont and went to, um, Tabasco Road. And I went in that bank and I ran there and I just said, what day is it? They said, it's Tuesday. Thanks. And I just took off running. I thought, 
But in my mind, I was thinking, they're in on it too, you know? Because <laughs> like I said, I've had night, night blackouts. I had them, you know, about every time I drank. I never had none of this two or three day stuff. And, uh, and I went to Thriftway, which was right around the corner. And I ran in Thriftway and I ran to the service desk and I said, what day is it? She said, um, it's Tuesday. Thanks. And I just took off, you know? I mean, I was just like, I was losing it. I mean, I was going crazy. I was trying to figure out what, what was happening, what was going on. And um, um, I get back to the house, and my parents are crying, and I go out and walk across that bridge again. And I walk halfway across, and I climb out on the edge, and I'm just, just ready to do it, man. I just, you know, I mean, I, I, there was just so much going on in my life, and it never, none of it made sense to me. I didn't know why I was experiencing this stuff. I didn't know why I was feeling like this. It's like everybody in my life, my brother, you know, he's an honor society in high school. I mean, everybody... He, you know, just thought he was the greatest guy in the world. My sister was a cheerleader, and she was this and that. And it, what's wrong with me? What, you know, what, what did I ever do that was so freaking bad that I got to feel like this? And I, I didn't jump that day. And I, I, I walked back to the house, and I walked in. Mom was like, "Oh, we gotta go to family counseling." I said, "Okay." She went. We went to family counseling. We weren't going to family counseling, but that was their card, you know. And that, that was, and I just told him, I said, "Y'all, I, said, I don't care." I said, "Just take me somewhere." I don't care. Just take me somewhere. Uh, I was out of answers. I was out of, uh, um, and I felt like I was running out of time, really. You know, I just felt like I was running out of time. I knew that there was gear spinning so fast in my head that I needed relief right away. And the thing was, was that I knew alcohol wasn't giving it to me. Not like I need, not, not like I need that relief. Um, they took me to a, a hospital, um, St. Elizabeth North, over in Covington. And I walked in and I hit the button. And, uh, and they said, the lady said, um, they said, may I help you or something? My mom was like, yeah, I, we have Jeff Buchanan here. And she goes, oh, the new patient. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And then a counselor came out and we went and had some kind of evaluation or something. And she was talking to me. And, you know, up to this point, I had talked to lots of counselors and police and judges and attorneys and lots of people. And I've never, ever told anybody the truth ever. And when I sat down with that lady, I, I said, can my mom and dad leave? Because I was ready to tell somebody. And I told her, man. And I told her. At that time, I thought I had told her everything. Later, as uh, I started working in that hospital, I got to look back at some records. I didn't tell her nothing. But at the time, it was everything I had. It was everything I had. You know, I, I do have taken some of those caffeine pills, and I have. You know, that's what I told her. But at the time, in my world of reality, I have told her everything. You know, it was like, it was like I could only do what I could do. You know, and that's why I think in these steps, you know, you don't have to work things perfect. You don't have to be just right. You don't have to be all that. Just do the best you can. And, and that day with that lady, I did the best I could. And she said, well, I think you're a good candidate. And I said, well, what I got to do? I said, I got to make some calls first, though. And I said, I got some friends that I need to tell that I'm going into treatment and stuff because they're going to be concerned. You know, <laughs> they were concerned. You guys know you got the same friends. Um. Went into treatment that day, sitting in pajamas, you know, detox. Only one in pajamas, you know, only one. And I'm, you know, I mean, I, I still got this huge ego, and I still got to be cool, and, and, you know, and I had these light tan pajamas with these stripes with seashells all down them, you know? And these little footies or something, I didn't bring any socks or anything, so I didn't wear these little footies, you'd slide all the way down the hallway if you know. Your hair. That was all you could do. You know, if you do anything, you could just comb your hair, and that was it. And uh, um, I sat in there. I was just tripping. I didn't know what was going on. You know, I just knew that I, I was somewhere where I thought maybe I could make it through the day. 
You know what I mean? I just felt like I was somewhere that, that, that maybe they know. You know, maybe they know. And um, um, I went to, um, I remember sitting down and looking up, and there was 12 steps on the wall, and I remember seeing God in those. And I didn't know it, that, and, you know, I mean, I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about God. And, I, and the one thing that I, that I knew more than anything, that God won't help me. Because I had tried. Because I had made the walk. And, um, and I just was thinking, man, this ain't going to work either. If this has got God involved, it ain't going to work. No. First night I went to an AA meeting. The lady, I don't know if she's here tonight, her name was Leslie, and she did that meeting for ever and ever and ever uh, at St. Elizabeth. And, and, I, and I met her, and she was just so friendly. And I was in my pajamas, and I was trying to be cool, and nobody else was in pajamas, and Leslie wasn't in pajamas, and Bob, <laughs> and Bob Rich was there. I say Bob Rich's name because he's dead, and, and, and he, he's um, well-known in Cincinnati and, and dearly loved, um, and, uh, and there's a lot of Bob Rich and a lot of people around here. Um, and he, was the, he gave the, the talk that night, and, um, and I looked at him, and I said, all right, that guy's probably 70 years old. <laughs> Um, he's got a nice watch on, and he's not going to be able to help me. And he told a story, and I knew that that guy knew me, and uh, it freaked me out. It just completely freaked me out. You know, and like all them gears that were spinning all that day after I heard Bob Rich talk, they weren't spinning, you know? Um, that's what AA does for me, man, is it stops the gears from spinning. You know, I get out in the world, man, and I get going and doing things and this and that and what, whatever I do, man, I screw up a lot of stuff as I go along and my, and my gears just get spinning and I can go to a meeting and I can sit back, man, if I pay attention to what's going on by the time I leave, my gears aren't spinning. And I learned that the first AA meeting I ever went to. And I don't know what that is with AA and there's probably somebody could figure it out and explain it and say it a whole lot better than me, but, but I know that when I sat in AA, my gears stopped spinning and um, um, it was my first meeting. I went to a meeting the next night, and it's the same deal. I had the same feeling. My gear stopped spinning, you know. And 15 minutes after the meeting, I was crazy again. You know, but I had an hour and 15 minutes that I wasn't. And that was awesome. You know, that was awesome. Um, spent six weeks in treatment. Learned a couple things. Um, I learned that if you don't do what I do, was doing, that your eyes would be white. And I remember that was one of the biggest deals for me when I was in treatment because I hadn't seen my eyes white in a long time. I just, I just remember I'd go by the mirror and just look. You know, it was just a big deal. You know, it was just a, a big deal. That's the way I, it's always the little things with me. It's never the big things. Um, we'd sit in that group therapy, you know. And I learned this. Is I, I knew I had your answer. You know. I could sit in that group therapy session. They'd go around the room and somebody would have a problem with something and whatever. And they'd go around the room. And, man, I knew what you needed. I did. And I'll tell you all about it and exactly what you need to do. And exactly how you can do it. And you know, the thing is, is that I was right. And I knew I was right. The other thing is, is that I can't turn that around. I can't turn that around. That's why it works for a guy like me. It's because I can hear you talk about your life and I can see me like my life. If you talk to me about my life, I'll tell you to kiss my butt. That's just the way I see things. Lewis talked about it so beautifully tonight. That's just the way I am. You know, uh, Joe... Uh, a has been coming to Texas to speak, and every time he goes, I go hear him talk, and we'll go out to dinner and, and spend time together. And uh, and he talked about one time he came down and talked about spiritual dyslexia, and I and man, I've got that. You know, I have spiritual dyslexia. I can't think of a better way of describing it than that. You know, it's like I just see things backward. You know, if you if you try to help me, I feel like you're trying to hurt me. 
or change me. My dad, just I was telling John this uh, a couple weeks ago. He's, he's like, Jeff, you know what you, really what you need to do? You need to do this. And I was like, Dad, why'd you tell me that? You know, I was going to do that, but you told me, and now I can't do that. <laughs> and he looks at me, and he goes, you know, I've never been able to understand that, but you've been like that your whole life. <laughs> so I had to find something different to do, because he told me to do it. And, and I... I mean, I, you know, I used to hate that about myself, and now I kind of like it, you know. It's just, I just do things a little different. You know, my dad is, said the other day, he said, somebody on the phone was like, you know, Jeff just, he gets in these biggest messes and comes out smelling like a rose. My dad says, yeah, he just has a really strange way of doing things. You know, and I, and I, I, just, I just do, just have a weird, you know, I get to the same place, just kind of go a different route, you know. And, that, um, and I learned to care about somebody when I was in treatment. I had never cared about anybody. I had never thought about somebody else. I never did. You know, they said love your parents and all that stuff. And I, I mean, I didn't know what love was. How can you love somebody if you don't even know what it is? You know, I, I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that concern for somebody else's feelings and stuff. I just didn't have it. And I don't know why I was never given that. You know, but I know when I was in treatment and I was, and I was doing that stuff and I was hearing these people talking group and stuff and I started getting a concern for them. And uh, my roommate, I had a little guy as a roommate, you know, and he was been in there longer than me. One night, there was a couple of other guys that was coming to get his cigarettes. And they were sneaking out at night, coming to his room, they was going to take his cigarettes. And I remember, I thought, them some guns ain't getting his cigarettes. They got to go through me first. I'll knock both of them to the ground. And, I, and, and they came in, and I did. I mean, I was like, you guys are getting, you know, you, well, they're like, hey, man, we'll give you half the cigarettes. You know, do we just want the other? And I was like, no. You know, and before, I would always fall for that. Like, oh, yeah, you can give me part of it? Come on. You know, whatever. But, um, uh, I, start, I cared about that little guy. You know what I mean? I, I, I really cared about what was happening in his life. And I, I never had that before. And, uh, and it was really strange. It was really strange. I mean, I told people I love you, but I never felt it. You know, it was just the right thing to say. I started feeling that about that little guy. Uh, I get out of treatment. Six weeks. Last night, they said, they said, uh, we, we're having a guy come in to talk to you about... Uh, about getting out of treatment. And give me a little pep talk. So I was ready for it, man. I was ready for this guy because he was three months sober. This guy was. And I was ready to hear what he had to say to me. Uh, and he, uh, uh, we did an aftercare plan before you left. You know, you fill out everything you're going to do and you got to sign it, which really makes it formal. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so, so we get the aftercare plan and, and, you know, I read it. One of the things I know was a 90 and 90. I don't know what that was. But I signed it. Right, because I'm going to do it, you know. Because the thing is, you know, when you're surrendered, because you, you're going to do everything you're told. You know, you see when guys coming in AA and they just do this, and the next thing you know, well, you told me to do it, I'm doing it. You know, and, and those that's how you make alcoholics anonymous. That's how you stay sober. You just you do things they don't make sense to you. It doesn't seem like it's going to work. It, absolutely, you have no idea how this is going to help you, but you do it. And I was going to do a 90 and 90. Well, that guy come in that night, give me a little pep talk before I left, and he said, uh, "Are you going to go to a meeting every day?" I said, no, I'm going to do a, a, they got me doing a 90 and 90. <laughs> and he said, no, he said, he said, you're going to go to a meeting every day for three months. I said, I don't know what they put on your aftercare plan. <laughs> but on my aftercare plan, they put a 90 and 90. And that's what I'm going to do when I get out of treatment. I'm going to do a 90 and 90. He said, Jeff, that's a meeting every day for 90 days. Oh. Well, that's what I'm going to do then, you know, and it, the, the thing was, was that I was willing to do it. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what a 90 and 90 was. 
I figured I'd just find out along the way somewhere, but whatever it was, I was going to do it. You know, I was going to do it. I mean, I'll do it, do whatever it takes. Whatever I got to do, I'll do it. Get out of treatment, uh, go to meeting every day. Um, I'll talk about my graduation just real quick. When I graduated from that treatment center, it was the first time I cried in seven years and not shed a tear. And it was kind of an important moment for me. My family were there and they were passing the chip around. I've never seen my dad cry ever. And he couldn't talk. And I never, really, my sister, I tried, I tried to get her to this program. God, I tried to poison her. Uh, with, you know, as I was, we were coming up, I was really just, you know, because really that alcoholic would just give the best they got. And I was giving her the best I had. You know, I was being the best big brother I could. And ever since she was nine years old, I was poisoning her with these chemicals I was poisoning myself with. And, um, and, and she, she was crying. And she said, Jeff, this is the first time I've ever looked up to you as my big brother. And, uh, and man, they started falling. And, uh, man, I could feel all that bad stuff just going. You know, I could just feel it. And it was like that stuff had been pent up in me for so long. All that bad and all that evil and all that stuff that I did and all the, the bad things and remorse and guilt and all that stuff just started coming out in them tears. And it was coming out enough where I felt just felt comfortable, you know. And I wasn't recovered, and I wasn't all that stuff, but I was able to to be in the day, you know. Um, started going to treatment. I got or going to AA. I got out and was going to 405 Oak Street, and um, uh, it's it's. I went I went went there every night that I remember, and spend most of my days there. Um, I met a guy. Um, a matter of fact, I was in treatment when I met this guy, and and and, and to get back when I was trying to get my life together. We would go to this health club with some guys, and we would always, you know, smoke pot and do all this stuff and drink before we'd go lift weights, you know, because you had to get a start, you know, or whatever we were thinking. But we'd go to the back, and there would always be this guy back there that had tattoos up and down his arms, and he was awesome, and we loved this guy. We always just couldn't wait to get to the gym, and we would all be high, and we'd just like, man, I love that guy. And we'd go back there and talk to him, and he'd tell us these stories about shooting heroin and living on the street and living in, in, uh, in dumpsters and all this stuff, you know, and I'd think, man, that guy's awesome. I like, you know, you just kind of idolize that, and I thought, man, that guy's great. I love that guy. And we'd always invite him out to the car at our break in between workout sessions, you know, to, to the car. We'd invite him out there to indulge in some of the stuff we were indulging in, and, and uh, he'd say, no, no. He said, maybe another day, so I'll pass on that. And then he'd just keep lifting, we'd come back in, and he'd come over, and he'd just hug us and be friends, you know. Just It was really weird, but that guy was great. And uh, I went to a meeting when I was in treatment, and he was sitting there at the table. It was Roy S., and I had heard that he had passed. And I, I didn't know, but, um, and I was like, whoa. I said, man, are you in treatment? Because I think he's got a heroin problem, you know. <laughs> I said, are you in treatment? And he said, no, not right now. He said, but I've been in treatment. I said, man, I, I said, I, I'm in St. Louis. I'm getting some help. I'm, I'm sober, and I'm, man, I really kind of like coming to AA and stuff. How long have you been coming? He said, seven years. I was like, what? You've been coming seven years? Why can't you tell me? Well, you know. He said, man, I had just been waiting. And he said, I've been praying for you guys, you know, because he had had that relationship with us too. And the cool thing is he didn't come off and say, I'm a member of AA and you need to get your stuff together because if you would have, I would have never talked to him again, you know. But I watched him. I watched him be sober amongst our insanity. I watched him be sober amongst our insanity. And when I saw him and I thought, what's my first sponsor? You know, I can need a sponsor and I know this guy and I grab him. Um, <clears throat> Roy said he'd be my sponsor. And, man, he gave me a list of start writing out, read this, read this, read this, write this, do this, do this, read this, write this, do this, and answer this, and, and Roy sponsored that way, you know? The last book I read was James and the Giant Peach. I was in fifth grade. I read that book cover to cover. 
My senior year of high school, I wrote a book report on James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> so when I seen that assignment, I thought, there's no way, you know? So I took the book home and, uh, I, you know, you try to read some of this stuff. I mean, I couldn't read. I really couldn't read. I couldn't put the words together. Just, nothing made sense to me. Um, I called people, Liz, probably one of them I called, and, and just people, and I'd ask them these questions, figure, I could, you know, because I'd use the cliff notes in high school to get through, you know, little cheater books or something, and I was figure, I couldn't find a cheater book in AA because I looked through the catalog, so I thought, <laughs> so I thought I could ask enough questions to the people, and then I'd be able to, you know, and, um, you know, I couldn't get it, so I thought, well, I'll just snow him, you know, just snow him. And uh, so I call him, you know, and, and try to snow him on these questions. And he said, what's the answer to that one? And I'd tell him some goofy something or I heard in treatment about denial or something. And then he'd, he'd uh, you know, he'd just laugh. Ah, he'd laugh and he'd just, and he'd hang up. <laughs> and it made me mad. Um, and, and essentially, and Roy's a great guy and great AA, uh, I couldn't hear it that way. I couldn't hear it that way because I was a failure at AA. I thought if this is the only way you can get A's by doing these big assignments like this, I can't do it. I couldn't read. Um, I started going to 4th Street, Johnny's 4th Street on Wednesday nights, and I'd go to Oak Street all the other nights except Friday night I'd go to Spiritual Fallout, which I'm just saying these meetings because I'm here and everybody kind of knows these meetings and and, uh, and knows the names of these people and, and uh, that means so much to me. And I uh, was set beside uh, Danny Marcus, and I, I, I sat by him. At, at a meeting, and he turned around and looked at me, and he, he was just like that man was glowing or something. You know, it was just like something was coming off of him or something. You know, it's like <clears throat> I would be crazy as a bed bug, and I would come and I'd sit down in that meeting beside a Danny Marcus, and he wouldn't have to look at me, he wouldn't have to do anything, and I would just be calm. You know? And uh, so eventually, you know, I, what meetings do you go to, Danny? Well, I go here on Wednesday night, I go here on Thursday night. Hey, why don't you come out to the institution with me? He was doing a, a jail meeting or something at that time, and and, uh, and, and, I was, and I was 17 years old, I couldn't get into the jail meeting. I said, man, I got a fake ID. Would that work? He said, no. You know, and, and it was funny. You know, I was 17 when I got sober. And that, that was kind of funny because I remember going to my first AA conference at six months sober. Um, and, they, and, and the dance was lame. It was, uh, somebody was talking about it's Tri-State in Illinois. I don't remember. Some Illinois, it was the Tri-State Convention. And, and I went there, and the dance was really lame. And, of course, I was looking for a little action. You know, 17 years old, I was just looking for a little action, something to do, you know. And, and, uh, and, and John C. and some other guys, they were, man, well, we're going to go to the bar and dance. Well, I'm like, man, 17, I can't even go to the bar and dance with them. So I, I, I went upstairs, and I had kept that fake ID just in case, you know what I mean? Just in case decided things were really that bad. And, uh, uh, and I, I went to the door, and his IDs always work for me. And I went to the door of that uh, club, and the, the, the guy at the door or whatever came out to pay the cover charge, and he looked at it, he looked at me, he looked at it, looked at me, he looked at it, he said, you sure this is you? And I was like, oh, man, I'm busted. So I took off running, and I ran upstairs. You know, I just left with the ID and everything. And they were all in there. That was crazy. Never anybody ever questioned that. I get sober, and then they, then they asked me about it. You know, it's pretty funny. But anyway, um, I asked Danny Marcus to be my sponsor. And, uh, and he sponsored me uh, until, he, until he died. Um, and uh, Danny died kind of suddenly. Uh, he's a great AA member. I worked the steps with him. Like I said, I worked the first three steps before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, um, and I got to the fourth step, and there was a guy named Bobby Dude. 
And some of you guys remember Bobby Dude, and I'm sure he's around somewhere. But I went through treatment with him. Me and him would sneak off in each other's room at night and read the big book. You know, I mean, we were, we were ready. Me and Bobby Dude were ready. And God just kind of put us together in treatment. And uh, he was from Colorado. He had long hair. And he talked really funny. And he was kind of a pain in the ass, but I hung out with him. And, uh, and anyway, Bobby Dude uh, um, had worked his fourth and fifth step. And he calls me up one day and he goes, how are you today, Jeff? I said, I'm doing, you guys remember how he was, I'm doing, all right, Bobby, what are you doing? He said, I just worked my fourth and fifth step and I just want to tell you how free I am. <laughs> I said, well, that's great, man. He goes, man, you're going to really need to do that because you really get free. That's really when you become an AA member. And I was like, piss me off, man. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm going to do that fourth and fifth step because I ain't going to be able to go to A and hear Bobby do do that every night. <laughs> so I start working on it. You know, the, to me, and if anybody's working on their fourth step, uh, the hardest thing about the fourth step, absolutely the hardest thing about this fourth step, because I've watched a lot of people go through this too that I've sponsored, the hardest thing about it is putting it off. It's the hardest thing. That is, it's hard. When you know you need to do that four step and you know your life depends on it up to that time you do it, that is a painful time. It was for me. It was my hardest time in my sobriety was that time. Um, man, I, I didn't want to do it. You know, I remember one night and I was, I was, you know, I told you my background, so I had some saintly stuff with me too that was, you know, I could pull out and figure work later, good later in AA. And, um, but I knelt down at the fireplace at my mom and dad's house. Nobody was home. And I took a piece of paper out laid it out on the table and I wrote resentment out I wrote the cause I wrote the effect and then I said a prayer and then I took it and I folded it real nice and I took it and I laid it on the flames and I watched it burn and I was still pissed off <laughs> you know I didn't want to do it and I sat there and did that for an hour you know and, I, and that night I just I was thinking well that didn't work you know, I mean, I, 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 I want to do the steps, but I want to do them my way. I just don't want to do them like y'all say or the big book says. And, and, of course, Danny Marcus and Bob Rich and Mike Drees, all these guys, just, man, just, it's in the big book. Just read the big book and just do what it says, you know. And, and they wouldn't really tell me what to do because the thing about the big book is, is that what, what we read, the words may be a little different for each of us. And so I think the, the great challenge for a new person is to read it. And, and what, what do you hear in it? What do you see in it? You know, it was like... Um, he didn't want to give me a problem I didn't have. You know what I mean? And I think that happens sometimes when people are telling people they've got to do this and you've got to do it like this and you've got to do it like that. It never made sense to me. Reading that fifth chapter never made sense to me. One day I woke up and the gears were spinning so fast in my head and I was thinking, well, uh, today's the day. <laughs> I called Danny that morning. I said, Danny, I said, meet me at Oak Street at 5 o'clock tonight. And I hung up. I thought, God, I hope he's there. And I opened up to the fifth chapter and I read, and when it said list, I listed, and when it said write, when it said think, I thought, and, and I did it. You know, and by God, that day it looked so easy to me. I mean, it was even better than one of them treatment worksheets they gave me in treatment. It just all made perfect sense. I wrote it down. I went up to Oak Street, and I never called Danny again. And he was sitting there waiting for me. And I walked in, walked upstairs. We got on our knees, did a third-step prayer. I read him my inventory. Um, and we talked about it for a long time and when I walked down I was just high off the floor and I knew that Bobby Dude was right and it pissed me off even more 
You know, I changed. There's it's something about that. You know, it's, it's something about the, 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 when you start losing and the pain and remorse of yesterday and the fears and all that stuff starts falling away. And, and, uh, and um, uh, Danny Marcus was awesome. You know, I just, he started going to institutions and he taught me a lot of things. And, 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 uh, and, and one thing that he taught me, and, and he didn't necessarily say it like this, but it, it just came to me one day. It said that you need to talk to a, a newcomer every day and an old timer every day. You know, um, because the old timer will show you where you may be someday, but the newcomer may show you where you'll be someday. And doesn't it work like that? Danny drug me off to all them institutions in different places, and we went, just did all that. Um, um, got me involved in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I spent the next uh, um, seven years in Cincinnati just getting after AA as hard as I could get after AA. And, uh, and um, I got moved out to the east side, and we got involved in a center out here, and we just, you know, we just got after it as hard as I could get after it, man. I made lots of friends and, and, uh, and sponsored some guys, and, and, uh, and that promise in the big book to see a fellowship grow up about you is something you can't miss, man. And, and, uh, and, and, and tonight, and being here at this convention is that, me not missing it, because I get to come back. And people say, man, remember when you did this, or remember when you did this, or remember when I was new, or you remember this, and I'm just reliving all this stuff, and it's really emotionally... It's doing, you know, I mean, I can just feel it. I can just feel that this is all getting in my soul and just turning things, and I love it. Um, Chuck, I, Chuck H. And I, I got to tell a story because, you know, you see these stories in AA, and I love when I come and see Chuck. And I, I remember when Chuck got sober, uh, he was blood red. He was blood red. It looked like he was a plum. You could pop him, you know. He was, he was blood red like that. And, um... Uh, and I remember he wore slip-on shoes because he couldn't reach down and tie his shoes. And he wore slip-on, he just kind of scuffed around. And I'd sit and I'd take him to meetings and I'd sit down with him and I'd think, I think he's going to have a heart attack. You know, he'd like <coughs> start coughing or something. I think he's going to die right here. You know, and then I took him to a meeting and he died. You know, we should have took him to the hospital and we drug him around. And, um, and anyway, I was in school at the time uh, and, uh, and, and he was in my room. We hung out together, and we spent lots of, went to conventions together lots of time. And he, I remember him looking up in my closet, and I had a bunch of school books up there. He says, what are all them books up there? Because I had learned to read a little bit by then. And he said, uh, he said, he said um, I said, oh, those are my school books. And he said, man, I always wanted to go to college, um, but I know that, that I'm just too old. And I said, well, how old are you, Chuck? And I, how old were you, Chuck? 30, 50, Chuck was 15. <laughs> Yeah, Chuck, was, I was thinking he was 35, and he, he said, man, I'm going to be, he said, by the time I, I don't even have my GED, by the time I do this and I do that, I, I, I mean, I'll be 40 years old or 41 years old. I said, you plan on being that old anyway? <laughs> and he said, yeah. And I said, well, you could have a college education, you know. I never thought nothing of it, you know. Just one of them things, you just kind of say it. Went on, went on. Next thing I know, he's getting his GED, and then he goes, and he comes, he goes, man, I just got in school. I'm going to college, and I was like... Well, that's great, Chuck. That's great. And I, by God, I, he went and got his master's degree. And I came home or something, or somebody called me. And I, I called him. I was like, Chuck, I can't believe it, man. You got your master's. I was so proud. I was always crying for him. And then the next time I come in town, he got his master's degree. You know, it's, it's just crazy. Alcoholics Anonymous is crazy because they take this insane life that you live and turn it into a fairy tale, almost. You know? And that's what happens for us. And, 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 and I have to say that that's what's happened... For me, you know, um, seven years ago I left here um, 
I had started fishing. Fishing was always my love, and I started fishing bass tournaments. I uh, started competing in them, you know, and it just kind of taking it to the next step. You know, I've always loved fishing. My dad, I come from a big line of people that fish, and my Uncle John, we'd spend a lot of time fishing together. Um, always had a love for it. Always felt like I kind of had a knack for it. And Danny Marcus, I can tell you one assignment that Danny Marcus gave me, because by this time, I was ready to work an assignment for Danny Marcus. And, uh, and I remember getting a piece of paper and a pencil, and I'd say, Danny, I want you to give me an assignment. I want you to give me something to do. You know, I figured he's going to bust off a chapter or something, you know, lay something on me, you know, some heavy stuff. And, and, and he said, man, Jeff, I don't really give assignments, you know. He says, just, just go out there and live your life and, and make, make a lot of mistakes. Because if you make a lot of mistakes, then you'll learn a lot more than if you never make any mistakes. Which is, is a great way of thinking, because uh, I make a lot of mistakes. And, uh, and he, but anyway, I was ready to write down an assignment. He said, Jeff, he said, if I can think of an assignment, it would be go out there and have fun. He said, because if, if I know anything, I know this. If you don't have fun being sober, you probably won't be sober very long. And what great words to say to a guy like me, you know. Um, and that was the challenge. That was the great thing. So my whole deal was try to, what, am I, what I like doing, what I like to have fun doing, you know. And, uh, and, and um, fishing was one of those things. So when we get time off, me and Rob would head to the river. Or, I don't know if anybody remember Alfredo at Oak Street, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> I loved Alfredo. He was my boy. Alfredo was, if anybody remembers, Alfredo was my boy. And, um, and Alfredo was, uh, he was kind of a homeless guy that used to be a boxer and was kind of punch drunk, and he just kind of hung out, you know. And he, I remember he had white shoes one day, and he'd come with black shoes. And I said, Alfredo, I said, man, you got black shoes? You get a pair of new shoes? He goes, no, I just painted my white ones, you know. <laughs> Made sense to me. Huh? But what a great idea. So, so anyway, I couldn't find anybody to go fishing with me. And I was like, oh, Alfredo, you want to go fishing? He goes, I don't know, Jeff. I, I don't know. How am I going to get out there? I said, well, just ride with me. I said, would you come fishing with me? He says, man, I don't have nothing. I said, I'll buy the food. He says, well, I ain't got nothing to drink. I said, I'll buy our drinks, you know. So I'd take Alfredo. We'd go down to the river. And we'd go, do, we'd go after a meeting, I'd take Alfredo. We'd go to the, go to the, the river, and we'd sit and fish. And, and, uh, and he'd sit, sit there and fish for about five minutes. And he'd eat all my food, drink all my drinks, and then he'd go to sleep. <laughs> And that was it, you know. But he loved going. But the thing was, is I had somebody going with me, you know. And I just go and I do that, and I loved it. Well, I I had a guy when I was growing up. Uh, he's from Cincinnati, and he's uh, was a pro bass fisherman. And uh, and and he his best his brother was my brother's best friend in high school. And I'd see him going back and forth to the river my whole life, you know, and, and competing and traveling all around the country. And and uh, and and, uh, and I talked to him about it, and uh, and he kind of got me started in it. And he said, Well, why don't you try this level? You know, why don't you just Try this and see how it goes. See what you can learn, and, and that's how you kind of do it. And, and so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd call Liz the night before the tournaments. I'd be a wreck. I'd be nervous. I'd go out there to get my butt kicked by these guys. But dang it, the next time I was gonna, I was just learning as I went, learning as I went. A um, couple years of this, and I, and, um, I ended up winning one of the regional events. It was kind of a, a, a big tournament, at least for me. It was one of the newest things that ever happened in my life. And uh, I just remember standing on the stage, and I just couldn't believe it. And I kept thinking, anybody else going to weigh in? And I started crying, and I, and I was crying. And I was in front of all these guys, you know. And it, it wasn't because that I won the tournament. It was because of where I came from. You know what I mean? It was like I knew that there was nothing in my life that I ever did to deserve to be where I'm at. You know? God taught me about mercy and grace. And I, like I said, these words never meant anything to me until I'd been sober a while. Um, and, uh, and, and he said that, that, uh, that mercy is when the cops pull you over... And they say, uh, well, you're doing 30 miles an hour over the speed limit, uh, but, you know, today's your lucky day. We're going to let you off. That's mercy. Grace is when he comes up and he says, uh, you're going 30 miles over the speed limit, and, uh, but I'm not going to give you a ticket. And uh, 
and, uh, and I got two extra tickets to the Bengals game. I thought you might like these. You know? <laughs> How about a weekend in Vegas? You know, let me give you that too. And, and, that's, and that's what grace is. And, uh, and that's what God gives to us. You know, He just doesn't forgive us for the things that we've done. He gives us a whole lot of stuff on top of all that. You know, and, and, uh, and, and that's just, that's, that's what my life has been sober. And, uh, and I love it. I mean, I just can't get enough of it. I, just, I have so much fun just being around AA and doing it because I know that the more I work and more stuff I do around here, and I, they call it service work, but I just like to call it service because it's not work to me. I love it. I love it. I love everything about this. And, uh, and Liz does too. She does probably more around than anybody. Everybody knows Liz. And uh, I, I learned a lot from Liz doing that stuff. And, uh, and anyway, um, so I won that tournament, and, and, uh, and, I, and a guy told me, he said, Jeff, you need to move down to Texas. You need to move to the south where you can go down. And Joe said it's just too hard to make a living doing that up north. So I saved up as much money as I could. My brother lived in Houston. My, mom, my, my sister had moved to Houston, Texas. My family had left. So on Christmas holidays, I was by myself. Uh, my mom and dad had moved down close to a lake down there. So I just saved up my money, moved down there, um, and started fishing every day. I just, just went fishing every day, see what I could learn, see what I could do. And, and, uh, and when I left here, and I remember the words of Co. she told me this. And I don't know, Patty was probably sitting beside of her. And she looked at me, and, she, and I told her what I was going to do. I said, I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to try to open a guide service down there, and I'm going to start fishing those tournaments down there, and I'm just going to go after it just as hard as I can. And she said, Jeff, don't worry about anything that you do, because everywhere you go, the people are going to see the big book in you. You know, everywhere you go, people are going to see the big book in you. And, uh, and, 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 and I, that's just what happened, I guess. I don't know what they, I don't know. But I went down there, and I opened a business uh, taking people fishing. And uh, that's all I do. They'd show up in the morning, come out of Houston, come out of Dallas, come out of Shreveport, Louisiana, wherever they come. They come to this lake, and this lake's predominantly this one of the best bass lakes in the country. I just, they'd show up, and I'd say, hey, good to meet you, good to meet you. Let's go fishing. And the day they pay you. The weirdest thing. I'd feel guilty. I'd think, that's a little too much. You know, my rates are a little too high. Let me give you some of it back. You know, and, it, and I, it really, when I first started doing that, I started, I started doing that because I was thinking, man, I just kind of feel guilty doing it. It gave me a lot of time to spend on the water. Um, and, I, and, I, and I started fishing some uh, tournaments, and I, I just continued to do well. And I'd win one every now and then. I'd be in the money all the time, and even some sponsors were starting to look at me and, 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 uh, and start giving me some products and stuff to use. And, you know, it's just, it's just really crazy how the, the whole thing worked. And, uh, you know, the whole time I'm going along saying, I don't deserve this. I don't, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not, but it just, I keep falling uphill, as I heard somebody say once. And it, it just seems like that when we get sober, that's what happens. You know, and, and uh, um, the uh, last couple of years, I, I've been fishing the the circuits that the guys that I've always idolized all my life. You know, and I'll be in the boat in the morning, and I'll look over at them, and I'll be like, and I almost, I mean, te- like I'll tear up. You know, I'm just like, whoa. You know, I wish Liz could be here, or whatever. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, and I watch my dad, and I'll come into the weigh-ins, and I'll stand up on the stage, and it, I remember one in particular that I won, and I was up there, and there was a lot of people out, and they, and I looked, I looked back at him, and he was, and the tears were coming, you know, and I just thought about the times him and I had had together, you know, and I don't know if my amends to him of, I'm sorry, Dad, or let me be a better son, but I knew that day when I looked at him that I knew that I was even, I knew that day, and, um, you know, my brother's this incredible businessman, and my sister's this wonderful businessman businesswoman and they just got lots of money and they do all this great stuff and my brother said Jeff everything that I've got and you're my dad's hero you know 
And how you get there, I don't know. I don't know how you get there. I've done everything I could to get the other way. And then I'm there. And I don't get it. I run a God service on that lake down there. I still do. Probably 100 days a year I spend taking people fishing and feeling guilty for getting paid for it. <laughs> I, uh, I um, bought a house down there and turned it into a lodge. And so I got a place to keep them now. And uh, I play every day. Every day I play. I just, I mean, it's fun. You know, it's just, it's just the whole thing. And, and, uh, and, and I fish these two circuits, and, and one of them is getting ready to kick off. And, 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 and I know, that, I'm the, I know that, that when I show up, I know I feel like i got a chance. You know? And, uh, and I don't always win or anything like that. And I'm somewhere right in the middle of everything, and that's perfect. That's, that's perfect with me. You know, it's, I just want to be in the game. I don't have to win the game. I just want to be in it. You know? I don't have to be the best at it. I always thought I had to be the best at it, or you couldn't do it at all. If you weren't the best at it, then just don't even try. You know? And I've learned in alcoholics, and I'm sorry I could be right in the middle. You know? I don't have to be the best at anything. I just like to show up and have fun, do what Danny Marcus says, enjoy my sobriety. That's what it's about. One story before I quit. It's a fishing story, and you know, God's always been working on my heart, and I'm proud to announce that four years ago I made that walk, and I didn't make it because I was guilty. I didn't make it because I was scared, and I didn't make it because I was lonely. I made it, made it because... Because it was time, you know, and um, and and I've been sober ever since. So, and they did give me phone numbers when I made that last walk. Um, God wants us to believe in Him, and He'll do things to, so that we'll believe in Him. I mean, He'll things will happen. And I love going to meetings and hearing about people's stuff, you know. Um, and and um, and so Beth, I met Beth earlier and had lunch with her, and she's darling lady. I cannot wait to hear you tomorrow night. Uh, but and I don't want to tell your story, but you talked about something about it, something that had happened to you. And then, what, but what you experienced was you were out fishing with your husband. And someone told me that the closest place you can get to heaven is out in a bass boat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said God gave us fishing so that we'd just get a little taste of heaven before we get there. And, uh, and if that's what heaven's like, I want to be there. You know, I don't want to miss that. Um, I come to a meeting at 4th Street and Danny had passed and I was kind of in between sponsors kind of sponsoring myself there for a little while which is dangerous if anybody's doing that don't do that um, and I went to, to, to Joe and I said Joe can I pray to catch fish you know I mean that's not in a big book I ain't never read it and uh, he said Jeff I don't know I said Joe the Indians prayed to catch fish didn't they well yeah they did I said, well, you know, what if I get in this tournament and I'd like to say this big prayer, God, please help me win this tournament and catch all the fish. He says, I don't know if I'd say that. He said, but, but he said, there's nothing wrong with praying for a little help. So I said, well, okay. So I got my plan. The way they do these tournaments, you don't know the guy you're fishing with. You draw them the night before and they'll be from another state. I mean, you won't even know them. You just have to spend the day with them. You kind of police each other and your weight don't count. They count separate, but each day you're with a different partner. And, uh, and they're back in the boat down that morning. I get on my knees in the back of my bass boat. And there's a lot of people around, and I don't care because I'm praying for some help. And, uh, and I, said, I said, God, I said, please help me on the water today. And, I, and then I followed that up with, I mean, really help me on the water today. God, I really mean this. Could you please, you know, and I just, because I figure if you say really enough, then he'll really understand. It. I'm sure y'all don't do that, but... 
We get to the first area that morning. I take off my bass, but I don't even know this guy. I don't talk, I'm not even talking to him. I mean, because I'm focused on this day. We run in the first creek, run to the back. Um, I, grab, I grab a rod and I start chunking down the, down the bank and boom, three-pounder. Jumps on that spinnerbait. I reel him in, throw him in the boat, go back, put him in the live well. I said, oh, that's one. I said, man, why didn't I figure this out a long time ago? You know, pray for a little help. You get anything you want. Right? I mean, that's the prayer. So I go on down the bank, and man, I throw like two more casts, and boom, another big one. And I reel it and throw it in the boat, and I put it in the live well, and my partner said, man, Jeff, you catch three more like that, you'll win this tournament. I said, you better believe I'm going to win this tournament. You know? You better believe it, because man, at that time, I mean, it was like my world had changed. You know, it was like, because I, I had tapped into something that was different. You know, it was something that was like the next level. You know? It was, uh, so the feeling was, was AA's great, and God's great, and Joe's great, and, and I, he's my sponsor for sure now, and, uh, you know, all these things were going on, and, and, uh, and, and where we were fishing, the fish had to be 12 inches long minimum, so they get, they get you got a board, you carry in your boat, and you catch the fish, and if it's not, if you just put his nose up against the board, and if it comes at 12 inches, he's legal, you put him in the live well, I catch 11 fish in a row, or 12, Sometimes I say 12, sometimes I say 11. I'm not sure really how many it was. It was enough to freaking frustrate me, though. I had, they were 11 and a half to 11 three quarter inches, and I caught like 11 or 12 of them in a row, or 10 or 11. I, I mean, I just kept catching them small, and I was thinking, gosh, three more fish, and I win the tournament. And that keep going in my head that my partner said. I knew he was right, and I couldn't catch him, and I was frustrated. I was slapping my rod on the water, and I was cussing, and I'm so spiritual, and I don't cuss. And I was cussing and, and, he, and, he, uh, and, and, and slapping my rod on the water, and I was like, dang. And a lot had changed in the front of that boat. Because I wasn't asking Joe to be my sponsor now. AA doesn't work, and there is no God. You know, that was the three things that had come to me. That, and it, with me, it changes like that. I mean, I'm like that. I wish I wasn't like that. It'd be nice just to have balance. I hear people talk about balance. I ain't never had balance. And I mean, you know what I mean? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I kind of like it. You know, I, uh, it would be scary to have that balance, wouldn't it? Um, so, so anyway, uh, long story short, you know, I, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm up at the front of the boat, and I'm, I'm figuring, man, I'm being a hell of an AA member. The guy in the back, he ain't even, you know, he's just sitting back there. I'm not even talking to him or anything like that. And I said, man, what's going on? He goes, Jeff, I said, I should have never came here. He said, I don't know why I came this tournament. He's just sitting there. He's like, Ugh. And I said, man, what's wrong? He said, he said, man, I just shouldn't have come this tournament. He said, I didn't even have the money to come here. I borrowed the money to come here, thinking that I could do good and make some money or whatever. And he said, he said man, I just lost my job. And he said, my wife left me, and she's got the kids, and I've been going to A for the last three months. <laughs> so, so then I knew, you know, and my faith grows stronger. Because, and I heard a guy say it in AA once, he said, the greatest element of faith is doubt. And I thought, well, what does that mean? That doesn't make any sense at all. But that day, it made sense to me. Because that day in that boat, there was so much doubt in my heart. And that AA had failed me. And that God had failed me. And that Joe had failed me. And uh, that it wasn't going to work out. And then God so graciously slides his hand down there and taps me on the head. And then I know. And then I know. Thus, my faith grows stronger. And, uh, and, and that's how my sobriety's been. That's just what it's been. You know, it's just experience and experience like that. I've talked long enough, and I just want to tell you guys that I love you. And, you know, this is where I grew up. I grew up, and I learned how to get a checkbook here, and I learned how to get a job here, and I learned all that stuff, and, and I love all of you. And everywhere I go, 
there's part of Cincinnati, Ohio right here in my heart and a part of all of you that, that I love so much. Thanks for listening.